Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. And what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Today, it is Andrew and Paul. We are uh, thawing out down here. Yeah, I think like most of the the listening area, the Midwest, uh, Northern Hemisphere, whatever. But holy smokes, man. What are you, what, what, you, you alive so, over there? So first off, Merry Christmas to everyone. Andrew, we forgot to say that on last week's episode. It's hard. We were trying to plan ahead. But yes, I'm with you. We suck. So, so happy belated Christmas to everyone. Happy New Year to, to all of our listeners. Man, we're so glad that you're here. Glad that you've been listening throughout the year. Uh, you know, stay with us. Uh, and we're trying to get better. But man, what a freaking storm, dude. When I, I don't, I honestly, like 2020 was, we had a big snowstorm on Christmas. Remember that eight, 10 inches out here where we live. But from that, I mean, I feel like it was a kid since the last time we had weather like that, man. I, I mean, mean, for three days straight, it was freaking blizzard like. So there's so wow. much about that that I just want to talk about. First of all, I bought a plow for my uh, UTV or ATV, whatever. No, it's UTV, right? Whatever. And I was side really, by side. Side by side. I was getting really excited to use that. Okay. That was like a Christmas present to me and my wife that we'd have this thing to now clear the driveway with. And, um, you know, when they first started forecasting that storm, it was going to be like eight inches of snow. And then it changed to like six, four, two. Paul, can you hear me? I got you. We're good. It's not a show. It's not an O2 podcast. Uh, yeah. Without, yeah, we've been we've been on this damn call for ten minutes, just getting stuff lined up, and not once did it interrupt. Right, not once. There you go. Anyway, keep going. Snowplow. That's the last I heard. So we're you know the forecast was like uh, you know whatever eight inches, and it was down to six, and four, then two, and then eventually there like it wasn't even in the real forecast. So I was a little bit bummed by that. But yeah, man, that that cold was insane, and I'm not sure I've ever seen. I took a screenshot of the one, you know, at one point it was said negative 35 with a wind chill. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen that personally, at least not that I can remember. I've been out in that close to that negative 30s one time deer hunting. It was during muzzleloader season. This would have been like, oh man, seven, eight, nine, ten. 2012 and it was for one day and it was a very brief period you know during that during that one day but that was intense man and and i've got some friends in buffalo four feet four feet of snow that is absolutely insane and on my my weather radar that i look you could see it'll show like how fast the wind is and the density in the air and it's it'll change colors and man lake erie was like a freaking wind tunnel and buffalo was where it was shooting out at. So that's crazy. Crazy. I had a couple pipes freeze. Luckily, uh, so far, so good. I haven't seen any damage. My power went out uh, right in the beginning of uh, of the extreme cold. That was fun. Uh, got a little, little chilly in the house. We had the fire going and stuff, but that was annoying. Uh, 
But yeah, man, you know, you we put that post out of you with talking about the turkeys and and being concerned about them out this time of the you know when you yeah. get weather like this. We, I I jokingly you know give you hell because of the, you're always talking about turkeys no matter what's going on. But the uh, the truth is I, I I can't speak for turkeys. I know my chickens are okay at the, at the moment, uh, but they are also in a coop. Um, did end up putting a light on the on them. But from my perspective, what I you know as trained in kind of like horticulture or whatever. We have our, our growing zones and a lot of things that we grow, you know, are, are rated for 10 below, 20 below, whatever that USDA zone is at any given time. And they've been trying to creep it up, creep it up, you know, so that we get these more um, southern plants. They say they can grow here and overwinter and stuff like that. Things like crepe myrtle that you usually see down in Tennessee. I'll tell you what, man, though, I don't know. I don't know. I shouldn't go into this too much but i don't know all the exact details of how they come up with that but negative 35 is low and if you start talking about nipping buds on you know trees and stuff like that we actually might end up with some potentially some some knockback of vegetation going into next year if it was hard enough the other thing i could see being a problem is when this forecast coming up talking about being in the 50s you're gonna really start screwing with some of those plants uh, morphology and and stuff so yeah, it's no good. No good. And that crepe myrtle, don't plant that crap in Ohio, man. Natives. Na- non- non-natives, get them out of here. Leave that down. I'm going gonna, gonna to join that native habitat restoration guy on, on Instagram Funny. about getting rid of, of non-natives. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I so wild animals are tough, man. I mean, we've seen deer that have been shot and live for years after they've been shot with a, with a, with a bow and arrow, with a gun. Cold weather. I mean, I know you know you're you're for sure. Like, I feel like a, a snap like that if that kills a wild turkey or a deer or a, a raccoon, bot, whatever it is, they were probably on their way out. You know, they they weren't healthy enough. But man, so hope, hope all the healthy ones <laughs> survive. So, yeah. well, I think they'll get but, a little, uh, little reprieve here moving forward, at least for the short term. So, yeah. Yeah, Andrew, I want to say thank you to our sponsors of the show, TetherNation.com. Uh, their one sticks are on sale currently, three, $314 for a set of four, I believe, uh, with one sticks. Those, they weigh a pound, pretty wild. Uh, so, yeah, TetherNation.com. You can find them on Instagram, find them on Go Wild. Uh, check them out there. You want to do, what do we got? We got Go Wild. Go Wild. Right for the week, Andrew. Tell me. Let's go. Silicone water guard. Highly recommended by one of our friends up in Michigan. So it's apparently like this, this like product that's been out for a long time. Uh, It helps recondition like your leather boots, vinyl boots, whatever it is, leather for sure. Uh, But it's like a silicone spray. I've heard that it works fantastic. Uh, I don't know. I pick a can of that up. I think it's twenty, twenty one, twenty two dollars, something 12, like that. Not too 12, bad. Twelve ninety nine. Twelve ninety nine. Twelve ninety nine. There you go. Yeah, even cheaper. So, open an account, Andrew. It's free to open an account. You get a free ten dollars. So look at that. That bottle, Atsco, three bucks. Three bucks. Yep, three bucks. Pay the shipping. Get a nice little note from our buddy Derek. Uh, throw your deer pictures up, your hunt pictures, ducks, whatever you got, man. Great community. Thrilled for those guys and 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 everything and, and that community that's growing. So time to go wild.com. You can find on the Android and the Apple store as well. And also thanks to First Light. Huge, huge fans. Can't say much much better about them. But um I've had uh we had a little bit of a first light Christmas at my house. 
Sorry, total honey, hunting douche move, but, uh, you know, it happens. So, uh, but I actually got my wife a coat and she loved it. She's like, this thing is so freaking hot and it's not even bulky. I'm like, I know that's the beauty of it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So. Anyway. You know, the, the one the one that I've been looking at that I want to get is that Brooks Down sweater that Clay Newcomb's always talking about. Is that what that is? I think so. I should look. Yeah, that's sharp. I like it. But sacrilegious, I, I put my Sanctuary 2.0 jacket on to, th- to shovel the driveway the other day because it was so freaking cold. So, you got it. Man. Comfortable. It. Very comfortable. Yep. And finally, thanks to our friends over at Midwest Gunworks, um, MidwestGunworks.com. They've got all kinds of stuff. For gun parts, ammunition, firearms, accessories, clothing, you name it, man. Lots and lots of gun parts. These guys are gunsmiths. If you got anything that doesn't work after the gun season or you're looking to upgrade, great place to check that out. Um, Paul and I are looking forward to going down and visit, vid, vid, about it, visiting with them here in a few weeks. Uh, yeah. So we'll have and if you need if full service gunsmith, I mean, if you need if you need parts. If you need your, your firearm worked on, they've got pistol smithing. If you want to get some trigger work done, uh, you know, you need to polish up, you know, a, a, a rifle woodworking on your on your stocks. Man, they got it all. Rifle smithing, pistol gunsmithing, shotgun gunsmithing. They got a custom shop. They can make you anything, freaking anything that you want. So MidwestGunWorks.com. Use the code OhioOutdoors5. Save yourself 5% on every purchase from MidwestGunWorks.com. Uh, Thank you to those wonderful companies. Absolutely. And while we're on that Midwest Gunworks one, um, I'm going to give out another shout out for the GoFundMe we have going for, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> our buddy John down in Oklahoma. Uh, he's been on the Missouri Woods and Water podcast. He's given his own recap of what happened. Dude ran in some bad luck getting the uh having his truck and trailer stolen so we're working with you know people in the hunting community all the listeners from our show and other shows and everywhere if you guys got a little bit uh extra change we feel uh, appreciate it but i've got a gofundme link on our instagram i don't i think i did post it on go wild it's kind of hard to see on there but uh either way there there's a gofundme out there uh outdoorsman for oklahoma is what it's called and we are getting closer to what we plan to do is help uh work with midwest gunworks and get john's rifle replaced that was yeah uh taken in that yeah yeah uh, what yeah. a story and you know it's just another example of of the hunting community rallying Great. around a fellow hunter and yeah. it, it is it's cool it's cool to see good on you for organizing organizing that and uh for everyone that has donated to that to, uh, to help John out, man, that was that was wild. So another shameless plug, Andrew, uh, and I'll make this quick. If you are in need of a tax deduction, charitable donation to your favorite wildlife conservation organization, uh, which everyone better say the National Wild Turkey Federation, I'm your guy. Give me a shout. Find me. Find me. There the laziest go. work I've ever done. But, hey, man, people, people, dude. Everyone does it. Everyone needs it. Yep. You, need, you need a tax break. So help the birds. So let's see. Speaking of more money moving around and different things, about the only news I really have, and actually, so this week's guest is Justin Ross, and we have had Justin on in the past. Uh, Justin's an avid hunter, uh, and we talk a little bit about what he's been up to this year. Uh, it's kind of a BS session, but it was nice. It was just nice to sit down and, and talk with him. But, you know, he ran archery hike last year. We talked a little bit about that. Uh, but a lot of that was 
that fundraising was done to help farmers and hunters feeding the hungry, which about a year ago we had a show on with Justin talked all about that, the details, um, you know, how many meals they provide and all that kind of stuff. Paul and I both donated deer this year to that program to help get a good protein source out there for those that need it. But the Ohio Department of Natural Resources Division of Wildlife is contributing $25,000 in a grant to farmers and hunters feeding the hungry to support local food food banks uh, with donated venison. So Justin's yeah, going to talk. Great program. When, we were, when I was talking to Justin, it, it actually he had, was kind of announcing it even before ODNR had. Um, so he talks a little bit about that in the, the show today. But that's, uh, in my opinion, that's, that's a nice nice place to uh, send that grant money because it's definitely a good group and they do so much for um, getting good food food source into those food pantries. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, they really do. Neat program. It, re- it, it really is. So I was I was happy to to donate a deer to to that program, and I got an awesome pen uh, that you get. They they have a different pen every year, and there's mine for 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 people that uh, will never see this, but it's there. So yeah, great, great program. And Justin is a stone cold killer, dude. That guy's killed some big deer in his lifetime. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, besides that, Good Paul, uh, I don't have any other earth shattering news. You got anything? Man, I don't. It's just, dude. It's the end of the year. I mean, this is like this is the week that I feel like ninety nine percent of the world is just like meh. <laughs> I mean, it's just like where we. You know, you just enjoy the time with your family, enjoy the time with your friends, watch some freaking bowl games. You got the Buckeyes playing here in a couple of days. Uh, my son's turning 20, 20 years old, man, mm. here in a couple of days. So yeah. looking forward to that. It's just uh, it's a good time of year, man. I'm going to do some duck hunting tomorrow uh, with, with some buddies. Hopefully that'll be fun. But I mean, for the most part, man, I think it's just quiet. It's quiet. So if you're still deer hunting, I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to hear what... Uh, or, you know, get a hunt camp story you want to talk about. So let us know, man. Hit us up on, on Instagram. Hit us up on go wild, the dot o two dot podcast on Instagram, uh, the o two podcast on go wild. We're going to find us both. Absolutely. So, and yeah, Paul, yeah. We, we, we surpassed our first year on this endeavor we call the o two podcast. But one of the things I had written down here is if you guys have any ideas of things you want to hear, people you want us to talk to, please reach out and let us know. Um, you know, we've got some ideas of things that we're working on that we think will be interesting, but if there's something that you're like, man, those guys need to get this to help, you know, promote whatever, like, let us know. Um, there's things that Paul and I aren't, you know, super avid hikers or, you know, fisher, you know, fisher anglers in the, you know, certain fish species, whatever. If you've got ideas, please let us know and we'd be happy to try and get something put together for you. But just don't yeah. interfere in Paul's turkey season because you know that's coming not too long. Oh, man. So a shameless plug, again, second one of the episode, Andrew. Uh, I'm starting a new podcast on the Sportsman's Nation. Oh, geez. Sportsman's Empire, the How to Hunt Turkeys podcast. That's going to be a lot of fun. I've enjoyed recording with some good people. I've got uh, I had some good ones, Andrew. You gave me a lot of, like, because I've been doing it for so long, I'm just like, man, I, you know, what, what, what the hell am I going to talk about? And you're like, well, this and this and this. And I'm like, just write this down so that you gave funny. me a lot of good information that so yeah i got some i got some really good guests lined up man talk to a lot of them already so yeah that's going to go live next week oh awesome. Um, awesome supposed to be next week we'll find out very good 
Well, so. um, man, there's, there's something else I was going to say. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we got a two star review because uh, some of our episodes we're cussing too often. So yeah, we'll try to terribly, terribly sorry about that. We do try to keep it clean, but man, you know, if if we're telling a story and it's it adds to you know uh, to the moment and it it was how it happened, you know, that's where it's at. So yeah, we'll try to keep the uh, the, the the casual f bombs to a bare minimum, Andrew. I will say that, but uh, Jeff Hireman. Uh, <laughs> I love that guy. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> anyway. I mean, if you if if that was like the first episode that you listened to the O2 podcast and, and you heard that, you'd be like, oh my God, these guys are a freaking mess. Yeah, we tried to <laughs> so, try to warn you. Um so who's who so I wanna I wanna talk I wanna get like a really because we we've had some awesome guests on this show. Some really big names in this in this industry, uh, you know, in content creation. And I wanna get like who, who's who's one that Who's the the alpha man? Who's the top dog that we can get? I know who you're going to say. Who's that, Paul? Uncle Steve. No. Steve Ranella. No, 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 no. Uh, but you're close. If it was up to me, I would love to hear the story of Clay Newcomb because, and yeah. specifically with some of the, the work he's put out here, um, covering stories on Ohio lately, I think, you know, that would be really, it'd be a neat one to, it would, and Clay has res- respectfully declined our offers twice. So yeah. we are trying. What about Brent Reeves? We can get him and back door into Clay. Right? <laughs> oh shoot! But I don't know. Yes, yeah, so if there's someone that you guys want to want to talk to, man, we'll ask. We him. got some. Yeah, yeah, we're not afraid to ask. I mean, we've we've got some really some really big names uh, in in the hopper coming up. So I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. But yep. I want to. I want to. I want to get some. There's just some really interesting people in this space, and they've got a cool story. And you just kind of ask them about it, not just killing deer or turkeys or whatever the hell it is, you know. And there's yeah. some really cool people. So Paul and I are headed headed back to ATA, so we'll uh, try to pick some some ideas and stuff up down there. Lots of good stuff coming in 2023. Um, I'm gonna get back on the giveaway train too. I'm sure we can find something good there. But anywho. Go check out all the other shows on Sportsman's Empire. Really good stuff out there on these cold winter days when you have nothing else better to do. Pull up some podcasts. And then, uh, Paul, we will be back next week. And uh, We will. In a new back. year. Better than in ever. A new, new year, year man. man. Yeah, so. what a year, man. Our first full year running this podcast. I couldn't be more proud of, of all of the people that have come into this O2 family, man. I, I appreciate every one of you for listening and for interacting with us on social media. Thank you so much. Man, we're just two idiots just trying to figure out how to talk into a microphone and be better hunters and educate you guys and give you something fun to listen to every week and, and let you shut down for, you know, 90 minutes a week. So uh, that's it. That's all I got, man. Happy New Year to you guys. Go Bucks. Take care. And what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Tonight, uh, I am joined with Justin Ross of Farmers and Hunters Feeding the Hungry slash Archery Hike. Uh, Paul will be joining us here shortly. Uh, Dad life. He's got uh, one child that is uh, a little upset tummy and then uh, trying to juggle the others and everything else going on. So, um, well, he'll hop in here in a, in a few minutes, I hope. But Justin... What's going on, man? What is up? You're, Thanks for uh, having me back on. And you're a three timer now. Like you're up there with 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 Gage Hall and uh, Tony Peterson. So I think awesome. that's good good company there. But um, 
I'm a worse hunter than both of them. <laughs> I don't know about that, but well, I, yeah, we're not going to go down that line, right? But, uh, let's see here. So for those of you, if you missed Justin, he was on last year talking to us about um, one of the organizations he works with. He's a very busy guy, but he you work with Farmers and Hunters Feeding the Hungry, which is uh, you know a group that takes... Well, Justin, you want to give us a quick rundown of what FHFH is? Yeah, for anybody that doesn't know, to, to cut and dry, Farmers and Hunters Feeding the Hungry uh, is an organization or a ministry that was created to uh, essentially turn wild game meat, mainly deer. We do have some elk donated, uh, mule deer and so forth out west. But here locally, white-tailed deer uh, take that and find a way to give that into the food banks uh, for the hungry people. And so back in 1997, Rick Wilson started this organization and we figured out that we could raise money. Uh, we are a nonprofit, but we could raise money, contract with butchers, um, hunters like all of us. If we harvest a deer and we don't want it, we can drop it off at a butcher. And then I take the money that I raise with FHFH and I pay the butcher for the meat. And that meat goes right directly to the food banks in that area. And so this year I had the opportunity to donate um, one of my deer, actually my buck, my prize possession buck that I, I, that roller coaster, we've been through that, but the, uh, it was a very rewarding process and it was very simple. Um, we ran it up there to Oilers in Utica and dropped it off. They got, you know, obviously take the pin and all that kind of stuff, but the, or take the, the, you know, your confirmation number, you get your pin that shows that you were a donor, and that was very rewarding. It sits proudly up on the dashboard of my truck. So um, super cool organization. For, for all you guys that don't know, back uh, 13 years ago, I think I'd have to count all the pins. I created a pin that it's the shape, the outline is the shape of Ohio, and it has the year on it. And and we decided that would be a good thing to give back to people that are giving to us. So a lot of our chapters will get these pens, give them to the butchers. And then if you donate a deer, the butcher will give you a pen, uh, that year's pen. And it changes from year to year. How do you have any idea how much meat you've, uh, had donated so far this year? I, I actually don't off the top of my head. I do know that they've been given meat out. So I, I would venture to say we're in a, probably a couple thousand pounds right now, um, somewhere in that. that. And that's just me locally, you know, kind of Delaware, Licking County, Knox, you know, Morrow, that type of area. Um, I know we talked about this last time. Last year we we settled it. I think it was right around 67,000 pounds of meat that were donated uh, in the state of Ohio last year. Oh, that's just the state of Ohio. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's a lot of meat. And that, and how many pounds uh, or how many meals does that provide? You guys have estimations on all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, we typically, you could say quarter pound serving. So, you know, multiply that by four. What is that? 250,000 meals. Is that right? 60, 100. Yeah, roughly 250,000 meals uh, last year alone that were that were given that mainly all that was white-tailed deer. There were probably some hogs or some, um, not wild hogs, but, you know, farm-raised hogs. Uh, that were donated. We do have we do have farmers that'll donate uh, cattle or or a, a hog here and there. So there's some of that was you know livestock meat, but the majority of it is all whitetails. 
So just for anybody, if if they're interested, if they get a deer, I guess at this point in the year we're looking at muzzleloader or late season archery, but <clears throat> excuse me, that they they want to give just a couple questions. I know when Paul and I went, the deer goes in whole, right? You, if you need, if you want the head, that can be taken off, but. It, you're, when you make that donation, you're given the back straps, the tenderloins, all that kind of stuff goes right to the processor. Um, that's not something that you can kind of pick and choose, right? That's correct. Yeah, take it in, just have it field dressed and have it tagged like you, you know, to be legal in the state of Ohio. And essentially, you're just turning it over, turning the meat over uh, to the processor or our, our organization to give that to a food bank. That's awesome. And, and if you want a shoulder mount, um, some butchers charge to cape them out. Some don't. Uh, that's definitely up to the the private butcher. So they, there could be a charge if you wanted a shoulder mount for them to skin that out. Um, like I said, that's up to the butcher. That's outside of us. Gotcha. Yeah, and I'm going to get on my soapbox for a real quick second. But I, I really felt that this was something I wanted to do this year. Um, and other people, you know, Paul also gave one. But when you – my kids do the food drives and stuff at school. And I think – we all know the food quality that goes into some of those food drives. It is, it is something it helps. Um, but it's probably not the most nutritious. It's probably packed with preservatives and not the most, you know, beneficial for, for people, you know, in especially young people with development and different things. We hear about obesity problems within the nation when we as hunters can take something that we work for and enjoyed and provide a super high quality lean protein source fresh out of the field to people that need it. I mean, that is, I don't think it gets much better than that. So, um, I commend you, Justin, for all the work you've put into that organization and everybody else around the state, all those people out there that are donating, um, that is making a difference in my mind. Um, not to say that, you know, the packs of ramen noodles and stuff aren't, they do something, but that protein source, man, is such a, a, a intricate part of the diet that oftentimes is, is, uh, you know, it's not there. So awesome, awesome, uh, organization right there. Yeah. For, you know, for all you hunters out there, just know that it is as simple as buying an, uh, another deer permit and going out there and harvesting one more deer and just dropping it off at the processor. Uh, it is that simple and you can, you get to enjoy the outdoors. You get to enjoy what you're doing. Maybe you're doing it with family or friends. And if you don't need that meat, there's, there's an outlet for it. Um, I, I, it really is a win-win and, and Andrew, like you said, it's just a good way to get protein back into the food banks. Everybody can give, can give, you know, non-perishable items. But you don't see people just racking up freezer full of meat and going down to the food bank and giving their meat away. This is a way to do that. Yep. So, Justin, what's your hunting season been like so far this year? I know you took a little trip out west, and I we kind of talked about it, but we were at that conference last week or whenever that was. The uh, My head's in a million places when I'm at one of those things. So, Justin, tell me about this uh, out west hunt. So, like, time of the year and what were we going after? What states, draws, all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm very curious about this idea. Um, as some of you guys know, I know Andrew knows a buddy and I, well, actually two buddies and I, were supposed to go to Alaska to hunt caribou in September uh, of this year. Well, because of the way 
that caribou got caribou hunting and moose hunting got shut down in northwest Alaska by the subsistence tribes and in, in zones there's units 23 and 26. So when that happened, our hunt got canceled. And so my buddy and I both had a point for antelope in Wyoming. And the other guy that was going to go with us didn't didn't have a point. And we were able uh, to go ahead and throw in as a party for the for the Wyoming draw for antelope season um, to rifle hunt. And so long story short, we we all three drew tags and uh, which was great. You know, who, who would have thought I, we had talked to really a buddy of a buddy in eastern Wyoming. And, and he was like, hey, if you guys want to come out, you know, yeah, let just here's the zones you need to put or, you know, your hunt codes you need to put in. And so that's what we did. And we drew. And so instead of going to Alaska, we were on our way to Wyoming. So real quick on that subsistence um, thing in Alaska, I I think I understand it. Um, but what the people that live up there, the natives, that they decide that they needed that meat so they didn't or the, you know, the animals. So they didn't want anybody from the outside coming in to, to hunt them or how what was that all about? So, okay, so for the 10,000-foot view really quick, um, I think it's every other year. Alaska does counts on, like, on the caribou and so forth. And they have, from what I recall from the report, they have a um, population number around that 200,000 that they like to stay around. If they're, if they're above that, they like to see more killed. If they're below that, then it's like, yeah, we need to restrict a little bit. When they did the numbers this year, it came in around, if I remember right, 180 or 188,000, give or take. And so it was below the threshold that Alaska Fish and Wildlife would prefer. It wasn't in in you know, redlining by any means. It was just lower than what they preferred. At the same time that was going on, the subsistence tribe in that area had been making remarks that... Um, essentially transporters that were flying hunters in residents and non-residents uh flying people into the to the you know out 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 no out away from everywhere to the bush um, right yeah out into the bush they were stating that those hunters were the planes were changing the migration routes over years and years and years this is what they they've stated in their papers um so when the counts were down, I think they finally said, look, counts are down. Um, you guys are changing migration routes. Our subsistence people aren't harvesting the animals we need to harvest to withstand our livelihood. So we're going to close down, you know, any, any grounds that we have rights to close down, which they have in certain public ground up there, they can close down. So they, they closed the caribou and moose hunting down to any resident or non-resident um, for 2023 or 22 and 23 um alaska fish and fish and wildlife has said that that there are actually some lawsuits something going on but i think sportsman's alliance is, is involved and so forth but that they kind of overstepped their bounds that they didn't really have grounds to close it down for two seasons so there's a there's a chance that in january uh we will know if it gets opened back up or not uh but it was closed in 22 so being somebody who's never really hunted outside of uh, the, the Midwest, is that obviously takes a lot of planning on your part to get ready for something like that, just from the logistics and the tags and all that kind of stuff. I mean, do you get 
I'm not trying to get too personal, but you get refunded, and is there insurance on any of that kind of stuff, or they just bump your tag back? Because I'm sure you had all well, that stuff. Well, so we before. were in a, a unique situation. So we were actually sp- supposed, we were going to go in 21. We had set up, so we had planned that. Um, obviously, you need to buy different gear if you don't have it, because you're going to be in the bush for seven days, uh, plan seven days, give or take. Uh, weather gets bad, you could be longer if they can't fly in, or if you, you know, maybe they get you out early if you tag out, but you have to be um, able to stay at least seven days. So we had bought, you know, gear and just, we had prepared for that. Well, COVID obviously happened in 20 and there was a lot of hunters that couldn't make it there in 20. So they, the transporter that we were contracted with had actually pushed those folks to 21 said, Hey, they, they, you know, it was of no fault to them. So let's let them hunt in 21. You guys can go in 22. So we got pushed to 22. Then this happened. So my hopes and from emailing back and forth with the transporter, it sounds like there's a lot, there's a chance that we will just get rescheduled um, for when that season opens. And we're hoping it's, it's next fall. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when that happens, so like with caribou, um, we wouldn't be buying our tags until I think the, 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 like the new regulations for that hunting season would come out July one. And then you would, you could buy your tags after that or your tag. And there's, there was a couple things we had to buy. Um, but you would buy them in July. And then we, you know, they, they hunt, they were transporting people out, I think all of August and half of September, it was like a six week time frame. And we were, we were right in that, that September 9th area. So early September is when we were going to go. Gotcha. So if 2020, there wasn't, I'm assuming much punting pressure because of 2020. And then, you know, those people got pushed back to 21 and then 22, there is no season. You would think that the herd numbers would be pretty strong, wouldn't they? Well, the crazy part is, like I said, I was trying to stay at a 10,000 foot view. And when you (laughs) dive in, when you dive into the report that was made, residents and non-residents in those zones, not statewide, but in those zones that were being transported in, it was only, um, maybe it was like two or 300 caribou that were being killed by residents and non-residents. And they were bulls only. We weren't killing, yeah, we weren't going to kill cows or calves. The subsistence tribes, they were killing, it was, it was, it was thousands that the subsistence tribes were taking again, but that's their, that's their meat for an annual basis, but they, they have rights. They were killing bulls, cows, calves. It didn't matter. They could kill whatever. Um, So in my eyes, the residents and non-residents that are being transported in, we're not hurting the population at all. There's always bulls to breed calves. Um, In my eyes, it's the subsistence tribes is what's managing that population because they could be shooting, you know, cows and calves. Again, 10,000 foot view. But what the subsistence tribe was saying is that the transporters that were flying people in those planes were changing the migration routes of the caribou. And we're talking over a span of, you know, 50 years. They are saying that those migration routes have changed. The subsistence hunters are, they're hunting close to river systems. So they're in a boat. They're not going out in the bush. They're waiting until those animals get down farther South, uh, somewhat close to Coatesville in that area. And then that's where they're hunting from. They're not going out into the bush to hunt. 
Um, that's what their their gripe was, is that, hey, these migration routes are changing, so our hunts are getting harder, or we're not seeing as many animals. Well, I think as soon as they saw the numbers were below the threshold, that was a catalyst for them to say, well, you guys are, it's just out of whack, you know, and again, I'm not there, but that's what I think happened. It's interesting. It's way different. I mean, all of this is, takes time for, um, what just happened? <laughs> it's it's like it must be a full moon or something. Hang on a second, Justin. My camera decided to just switch to my phone, so this will be slightly weird, awkward. But to go back to that, obviously there must have been something. You know, we're over here in Ohio. Um, so there must have been something that was out of whack with the scientific data that Alaska Fish and Game, uh, you know, what they like. Because as soon as the subsistence tribe said, "Hey, we're voting to close this down," it was an uproar. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't good. Uh, not only because, from what Alaska Fish and Game is saying, that they're overstepping their bounds, um, but also. All the people that were traveling into, you know, we were going to fly into Anchorage and then fly on to Kotzebue and we were going to spend the night in Kotzebue, then go out. We'd be out, you know, seven days, come back, be in Kotzebue another night. You got restaurant, um, you know, bars, just general goods, whatever, hotel stays, all of the, you know, the subsistence tribe isn't, they're not, they're not using those, uh, those marketplaces. It's the residents and non-residents that are coming in. So as soon as those caribou and moose seasons got closed, all those hotel stays got canceled. All, you know, the, there was no tourism coming into that town. So there was, it was a huge economic loss for that area. Uh, and, and, you know, I think Alaska Fish and Game knew, knew that. Economic impact definitely would be really, really crazy. Um, yeah, and it's just not, it's not the same as Ohio uh, when it comes to um, the stuff that we deal with, right? But. Yeah. Anywho, so <clears throat> that, totally, that got canceled. Bummed, totally bummed we didn't go, but uh, really hoping. I mean, I'm still just kind of heartbroken that we, my buddies and I, we were, we were, we were, our mind was there. We were ready to go, and then it just all fell apart. And it, yeah, it hurt. Next year. Yep. Uh, next year. Yep. There's right. always another time. So, um, but you ended up in Wyoming, and mm-hmm. you guys got. Uh, I don't even want to try to get into like the points and the groups and zones and stuff out there i i still can't wrap my mind around how that works but uh antelope just a plain old antelope tag and were you guys out on public or private or so it was private ground um like i said eastern wyoming we were uh outside of kc so kind of eastern third of the state halfway up in that area definitely you know rolling hills but but plains yeah um the bighorn mountains come down uh on the west side of kc kind of come down in in there and we we were hunting just kind of east southeast of there um we had the, the again it was a buddy of a buddy that had that grazes cattle out there and he had i think four thousand acres on of his own and then he you know, he leases off of a neighboring property to to let people hunt. And there was another, I think, 16,000 acres. So we had 20,000 acres of just 
you know, ground to roam, which luckily we didn't need to, but uh, it's, again, for people that have never been out West or been out there to hunt, it's a whole different thing. It's just a whole different thing. So is it spot and stalk or, I mean, and are you guys just hiking miles and miles a day and all, is it the whole glassing and glassing forever and all that kind of idea or? That's what it was. So we knew that, that rock would take us out there and it was his ground. He'd drive us out. Yeah. Spot and stalk. We pulled in, but we, so we went late, late October. So we had just a few days of rifle season is what we had. And it it was spot and stock. We got out there uh, the first morning and uh, found a group of 18 that were bedded up and they were in a shadow. And, and again, for somebody that, that watches this stuff on TV, but never been out there, it was, it's just fun to experience it. And so we found these 18 and, and uh, my one buddy has killed two with, with his bow out there. And the other guy that was with us had never killed one. I'd never killed one. So we flipped a coin to see who got the stock first. And so John got to go first. And, and so rock took him and they, you know, went in stalking in and um, we just stayed back. My buddy and I stayed back and just set up on the hill and just watched them stalk in. And, and it took them a couple hours that they got to it. And, and John was able to, you know, to kill his and he killed his, it was 230 yards. I think he was able to get to, and they had actually moved around. It was, so we we were watching, and as they were stalking in, there was a, a another guy that you know, just a, a neighbor. They all know each other. He was driving a side by side out through the property, just out out driving, and it actually spooked all these antelope. And at the time, they had ran and moved, and John and Rock didn't know they they were down in a valley, so they never saw them. And so they popped up where they thought they were, and they weren't there. And, you know, so then they had to find them. And like I said, they were able to get to them and, and John was able to shoot his and, and put him right down. And then they scattered, you know, so once they scatter, you know, they, it's kind of back to starting over again. And, um, is that like the breeding season for them or I, I think they're rutting. No, I think they rut more, um, they're rutting more September area. Okay. So at that point they're kind of done and just. They were hanging out there. What? Um, so you, you were the second one to go in on the spot and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so my buddy I was with then, he was like, "Look, I ain't shooting until you kill one." And I said, "Well, let let's go." You know. So at that point, we were we were watching from if roughly three quarters of a mile away is where we were up on a knoll watching them. So when these antelopes scattered, we had all kinds of rolling hills to work with. So we dove off the back of the mountain or the back of the hill and we started working our way around to where we thought the antelope had went. And we thought, well, we'll come up over a rise and we'll find them. Then we can stalk in on them. They weren't there. We went another knoll, <clears throat> weren't there. And as we're trying to get to the next knoll, all of a sudden here comes, here comes an antelope or a pronghorn buck runs out from behind. And we thought, oh, well, here they come. They're all going to you know shoot out. And my buddy ranged the one, he's 148 yards. And I just sat there and waited because I thought the whole group would come out and I could just pick the biggest buck and, and, and shoot him. Well, they never showed up. So the one that had ran out, he was still out there 148 yards. He saw us, then he stopped. So I was able to to put a shot on him and put him down, which, which was neat just to, you know, it's, it's fast paced and it just happened. Pretty, and pretty uh, good buck or I don't, is that what they are? 
man, I'm an idiot when it comes to this. Yeah, stuff. yeah. I mean, um, he was he was the smallest of the three we ended up killing. Um, but I would say he was like middle aged. He wasn't a he wasn't like a trophy. I think if if you were out there hunting him, they wouldn't have shot him. But for me, I I just wanted to shoot one and and have the meat. So it was like I'm shooting the first one I have a chance to shoot. I ain't I'm not piddling around. I'm just right. gonna get it done. So. What's the meat like? I, mean, I don't know if I've ever, I don't think I've ever had antelope, but I'm not sure I've ever talked to anybody. That's... Uh, I, I didn't notice anything different from whitetail. So yeah. red meat wise, that's all we eat here is, is whitetails. Um, we did have some elk when I, I killed a couple of cow elk a few years ago. Um, so I, I didn't notice any difference. Um, I ate, ate the heart, uh, ate the heart. I ground some up. I've ate that of eight steaks, uh, you know, tenderloins, back straps. I end up canning some. I've got seven quart jars of of canned antelope that we'll use for like antelope and noodles or, you know, just different, you know, different recipes that would call for canned meat. We actually, we eat a lot of canned meat. Uh, so yeah, but t- taste flavor wise, regardless of how it's been cooked, it, it just tastes like whitetail to me. All right. So now, now you just got my brain going meat canning. <coughs> What, what's the process of that? If you're, if you're super, sim- super simple, um, dice up really. I mean, any, it could be any cut of meat that you want. It doesn't matter. Dice up like one inch cubes, roughly. Um, I cold pack everything. So meat's cold, not froze, or, you know, it's not cooked anything cold pack it. So fill a pint jar, quart jar, whatever. It's roughly a couple pounds of meat um roughly two pounds of meat that you would stuff in the jar um and you push it down in there make sure you get all the air out and um put the lids on you leave an inch of headspace and then i just fill my canner um with i can put seven seven quart jars in there and then you just pressure can it at i think it's uh 11 pounds of pressure for 90 minutes and we can a bunch of whitetail too so uh yeah that's one thing i we have never done i i've heard of people doing it i suppose the i would because then you just store it on the shelf mm-hmm. in the pantry yeah it's no different sealed up yeah and it, it's amazing when you pull that lid off of there what it has a smell or a flavor to it, it, it it's really good and it can have silver skin on it it's a little bit of fat it get whatever it all gets i mean the fat and the silver skin just renders down to nothing in there and it's completely cooked and you pull when you pull those out, if you open up a jar, I mean, you just pull it with your fingers or a fork and it just, it falls apart or I mean, you just eat it, eat it like that, or you can throw it in recipes. Uh, but it, it is amazing. And it's super simple. It's super simple. Interesting. I'm going to have to, to dive into this. So, uh, maybe this year when we get into our grinding party, it'll be, uh, we'll have to leave some out for that. So yeah, uh, yeah, you should. So you're getting the, the head mounted of the antelope just european yeah european i got i've got so many deer heads around from bow hunting since i was a kid that i'm at the point of like my hunting type career i guess you could say you know the kids are are college or getting ready to be in college and my buddy and i laugh all times like what are we going to do with all this taxidermy stuff we had or we have so I mean, I've got, I killed my alligator in Florida a few years ago and I've got it. I actually, it's, I've got its whole head and everything. And so anyways, and I've just started Euro mountain stuff, yeah. do it myself. And um, so, but this one I didn't, I did take it a place because of the, the sheaths, the yeah. horn sheaths. And they, it, it, 
it was really interesting. So at this time of year, those sheaths are starting to get soft where they're going to come off. And you could actually, all, all of the antelope that we killed, all three of them, you could actually grab those horns and, and swivel the horn around and it, it wouldn't pop off, but it, it was, it was loose. Like the sheath was really just about ready to come off. And I know from just listening to podcasts, reading that, that you've got to make sure all that's cleaned out of there, you know, that it's, or it'll get to stinking obviously because it rots. So I, with it being first one, I thought I'm just going to take it someplace and uh, let them do it with beetles or whatever. Cool. Well, that's, that's interesting. And then it sounds like it was a good trip out West there for you, but the, uh, so what's the whitetail woods been, been like for you so far? Horrible. Horrible. No. So like everybody, you know, you, you get a couple pictures of a couple nice bucks and you're like, Hey, I'm going to try to go after that buck. You know, if you got some private ground to hunt where you can kind of control the situation and, and I'm fortunate enough, I've got a couple, I've got my own ground that I own and then a cousin's property that I hunt a lot. And, and so I'm always up against that bug every year. And, and, um, so I'm still chasing the buck. He's, he decides to daylight here when I'm not around. And so I haven't, I haven't even got an opportunity at him yet, but you do have one that you're, you're after. I I have one, one singular buck that I'm after. Um, I've had multiple opportunities like, like a lot of us. If you get out there and hunt, you get multiple opportunities, to shoot random deer. You know, I, I did shoot a doe already this year and, and plan on shooting at least, at least one or two more before the year, um, just because of needing the meat to right. get through. But, um, I'm trying not to spoil an area too much. So I, I'm really letting weather, you know, just being an outdoorsman, letting weather tell you when deer are going to be moving, um, and cameras as well you know let cameras kind of help do the scouting for you and and man just can't i can't i think he's got me figured out or something and it's driving me nuts i don't know man i think that more and more i'm I'm starting to think the cameras just lie to you but the uh are you going to go out saturday when it's about three degrees out is that is that weather i I probably should but i'm actually (laughs) going to be out of town for for the holidays and and you know it you know what'll happen. Um, I actually just, so Saturday and Sunday was our second, you know, weekend of gun season. So I was hunting there Saturday because the weather was somewhat changed. It was a little cooler, but it was really windy. And I thought there might be a chance, you know, with it being cooler and windy, um, that he would show up and he didn't. Um, and then I had a family thing Sunday evening, so I couldn't go to that spot when, you know, it showed up 458. Yeah. 458 was staying there broadside and I was like, yeah, I'm not even there. Yeah. Uh, that's so, a, then, so then I went Monday. I thought, well, I'll go Monday because it's just as cold. The weather, the wind wasn't as bad. You know, I thought, what's the chance? Maybe he'll show up two days in a row. Yeah. Could have shot a spike, a couple does, but. That's a challenge with, uh, you know, cell cams and that it's like, well, I mean, I'm speaking to the choir, but. It's beautiful to know when they're there, except when you know that you should be out there or you really want to be out there, but you can't be out there. And it just you know, makes you want to bang your head against the wall. But I think the hardest part that I've had to learn is you can be concealed when you get there, whether you're hunting in a blind stand, whatever you can be concealed. You can, can try to control your odor. Obviously you got to play the wind. You always have to play the wind, but I'm trying to now refine entry, not really exits, because I'm only hunting in the afternoons. I'm not going in in the mornings. Um, trying to refine that entry 
because I, I don't know exactly where he's bedding. So I almost wonder if he watches me go in. I, I, I don't know. You could probably I, answer I, that or I, Tony Peterson. I, right. And these guys talk about access all the time. I mean, I don't know. I've one of the one, one of the more productive hunts I had this year. I was on my hands and knees crawling through the thickest stuff, making all the noise. Everything on my back is rattling. I'm leaving scent everywhere. Climbed the first tree I got in got a chance to and <clears throat> I had more deer underneath me that night than than most other nights of the of the year and it was just like that was the worst access route possible. I don't know. How, I don't know. I don't think you could have made it any worse as far as the, the noise and scent and everything else. So sometimes I just, I do, I'm, I've, and I've done what, you know, what you're talking about. There's times where I've moved my truck and, and on private and try to figure this out. You know, is he watching me pull in? Does, do they literally know when my truck's there? But then there's other times where I don't know, man. Sometimes I think we give them too much credit too. I, I've heard people talk about that, and I, I don't know. I'm starting to wonder if that's not not part. Of I it. hadn't had that thought about the whole access thing heavily until the other night when I went in there, or uh, last night, Monday night. Um, there's snow on the ground, and when I went in there, I found a singular trail through the snow that I did not know was there. I crossed it, and it has me wondering if if that it makes sense that that buck is coming across the backside of the ridge and, and catching wind, anything coming up over that ridge, he catches it before he exposes himself. And I got a hunch that, and if that's the case, he is definitely watching me walk in. I thought he was coming from another area because of the way he shows up coming, you know, on the camera every time. But now that I saw that trail, I think he's walking down around the backside of that ridge circling out into the open, you know, catching that wind before he exposes himself. And if that's the case, I'm going to change my setup. Interesting. Yeah. Well, good luck on that, man. So, um, the last thing, I guess maybe Paul, Paul's not going to maybe make it tonight, but the last thing I want to talk to you about <clears throat> was something we did last year. Uh, you we were just beforehand talking about, you know, you kind of got this wild idea and said, I want to do, uh, an archery hike. And it was an outstanding event. And I, I, you know, we talked about it during the summer. We talked about it, um, you know, after it happened, everything. But what does Archery Hike 2023, what what is that going to look like? And uh, give us a quick rundown of how last year went. So so for 2023, Archery Hike Hawking Hills will happen again. It, it is going to be roughly that same time frame. Um I don't have it nailed down perfectly yet, but it won't be on the same weekend as the IBO. So if there's any IBO shooters out there that are listening that shot, you know, down in Nelsonville at Hawking College that weren't able to go to archery hike because of that, we won't have that problem this year. Um, It was just kind of a, that was the only time the cabin was open to be able to have that property to shoot on. And and that's how that got scheduled. With that being said, uh, we threw, I threw that together in a couple months and you know gathering targets buying targets creating the trail through the woods and and just creating the whole event and i feel that it turned out fairly successful uh everybody loved it um it was it was a good dose of exercise uh especially with the weather we had on on saturday and sunday i know andrew you were there friday and the weather was decent saturday and sunday it poured down rain but you know everybody showed that was supposed to show up except two people and um, 
it was a successful event. It was great to, for anybody that didn't hear previous podcasts, uh, the idea is to create a 3D archery shoot that has a, not a substantial hike, but maybe somewhat of a rigorous hike, you could say. It was rigorous. Okay. Um, It was about a mile and a half hike last year and had roughly 300 feet elevation gain give or take. And it wasn't just straight uphill. It was, I mean, Andrew, you can, you can talk about it, but it was definitely up and down hills throughout. And we had, uh, we had 24 targets throughout the hike, anywhere from, I think we had a, a raccoon and a bobcat at like 15 yards. And then we had a couple elk out at like 75 and 80 yards. How far uh, was that javelina that was like down in the, the gully? Cause that was a close I think it was one. about 18 or 22, but it was just like straight downhill. That was stupid. I didn't like that one. The, uh, yeah. by, by stupid, I mean, it was, it was a tough shot and it was, it was a good, good target, but, um, yeah, man, that was, it was, a, the, it was really, it was rigorous. And I remember going up to the first, you know, the first shot there and it was, uh, up that power line. And I mm-hmm. think, oh man, we got like a bedded mule deer or something in there and, there was a bedded whitetail and then the standing mule deer that's up what, behind it. That's what it was. And and the other thing I'll say is, Justin, do you have a degree in English or, or something? Because you, you wrote this masterful piece of literature about, you know, <laughs> ahead you will see the, you know, largest mammal or, you know, big game animal in North America majestically standing there. In the, and you look up and there's a there's an elk like you know, 70 yards away. And it was by reading through the little pamphlet that was well, very well done. It added to the, the experience. And, um, but anyways, that first shot, you know, you, you look and you know, okay, there's that bedded deer and you get your range finder out and whatever, hope you hit it because that was a far one. But then the hike itself, it was like, wait, we, so we're just going to, we're going to go up, follow the like the tape up this hill and you're looking and there's briars and there's some you know multi-flora rows and you're gonna have to go this and navigate around this tree and and it was an actual hunting scenario it wasn't just you know walk up to this spot in the woods okay shoot left okay back to the path walk up this spot shoot right like it was an actual hunting like scenario trying to find the targets in the woods because it wasn't it was marked, but it wasn't marked super heavily. So like you, there was times where you really had to, all right, am I looking, I'm looking for, you, you kind of put the clues together. I'm looking for a black bear. Where is he? Where is he? Oh, he's like, uh, oh, he's standing right there, you know, and, and find him, you know, throughout the whole thing. So, uh, I thought it was very well done and, uh, I can't wait for next year. Now when I shot, it was like 95 degrees. uh and hot but so i didn't get any of that rain that they got the the second days but i definitely got a workout for sure so yeah for everybody listening stay tuned i would say we just get through deer season and probably i would say definitely before turkey season but probably that like march one and that i'll have everything narrowed down and that's when i that's when everything will get go live um everything will be updated on on archeryhike.com our website and you'll be able to register for that year, you know, that event. And we'll definitely keep everybody up to speed and, and what's going on because it was a uh, really, really cool event down in the Hocking Hills. Something to do in the summer and get, get you ready for your bow, bow season. 
and it really wasn't far away. So, yeah, short drive for all of us in central Ohio. And I mean, you drive down, hike through it, shoot as many targets as you want, you know, hike through it a couple of times if you want, and you can drive back home or there's obviously plenty of places around Logan. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, it was right. It, it's probably about five miles from Logan, just right outside, not very far from Old Man's Cave, like Hocking Hill State Park area it is where it was held and where it'll be again this year. Lots to do down there. So, yeah. Well, Justin, you got anything else uh, on the docket for the rest of the year besides going and get that buck to come, uh, come play nice. You know, it's funny back, back. I got a few things to, to say, but back to that topic, I, I told my buddy, he's like, you're going to kill him tonight. I, this was last night. And I said, the man, I hope, you know, the weather, weather seems correct. Um, and it didn't happen. But I, I'm so on the verge just because we need, I need more meat and I'm so on the verge. I, 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 I could have shot a doe last night. I had two does on a spike that were around there and, and I was so tempted to do it. And I'm like, no, just don't just let it go. Normally my, me personally, I, I get pretty particular up through gun season. Once gun season's over with, then it's like, you know what, we just need to fill tags and get on with our merry way. And I'm going to give it through muzzleloader this year. And and we roll into Tuesday evening a muzzleloader. Something, something, that hammer's going to drop on that muzzleloader. Don't walk in front of Justin. That would be it. Yeah, yeah. I don't, ha- I don't have any more time. My wife already, she she said, you know, you probably should just kill something. I'm like, yeah, we, we do need to meet. Luckily, I was able to kill that antelope, and, and I've got one doe already. So we, we've got some meat, but we definitely need a couple more deer. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to go back to FHFH real quick. Yep. Sorry. Um, just two things. We did redesign the website. Um, it was FHFH.org, which that'll still get you there. Um, but feedthehungry.org is the new web address. And Josh Wilson, our executive director, him and his wife had revamped everything because we started viewing the feeding ministry is, is there's other organizations that do the same thing that we do throughout the country. So I wanted to, to, to mention, if you get on the website and you're looking for butchers, wherever you're at, if you're in Ohio or you're in a different state, we now have the other organizations listed on our map. So you'll notice the little like teardrop sign that you see on maps. If it's got a FHFH emblem in it, the the deer with the piece of um, grain, that's one of our associated butchers or our contracted butchers. So you'll go through our program. But if you're somewhere else and there's a red dot there, that'll you can click on that red dot and that'll take you to the organization that is the feeding ministry in that area. So if any of you listeners are in a different state and which granted we're late in the season now, but say next next fall you're going to go maybe out west. And you don't, you can't get all that meat back, or you just want to go hunt and enjoy the time and just donate the meat. There's probably an opportunity, whether it's through Farmers and Hunters Feeding the Hungry or a different uh, feeding ministry, uh, that you can do that. And you can find that on our website. So Josh did a really good job at, at making this map interactive. And as you as you scroll around. Um, all the information there, if there's special instructions, it's listed under the processor's name, all the contact you know, info for the processors there. Uh, so it, again, go to our website. You can find the butchers. You can find chapter coordinators. You can find all that information on feedthehungry.org. Awesome. 
Uh, last but not least, too, I wanted to mention something. I did get clearance that I could that I could talk about it. Uh, so you guys are the first ones because it hasn't been press released yet. But I wanted to say that that all the folks at the Division of Wildlife, um, they made a donation this year, or they're in the process of making a donation or a grant to Farmers and Hunters Feeding the Hungry, which you'll see this come out really soon. But Thanks to the Division of Wildlife for donating twenty five thousand dollars to our feeding smoke. ministry. Hey, Justin, um, I think that could <laughs> figure out how to use my button there. So there you go. Yeah. So thank you, Division of Wildlife, uh, Kendra Wecker, the the director. I mean, we we can't say thank you enough, and and that not just for our organization, but for what we're able to do to process and pay for more whitetail or, or livestock to give back to these food banks, especially in the Christmas holidays. Perfect. That's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Well, Justin, where can people find you or keep up on uh, archery hike information? And uh, you just gave us the, the rundown for FHFH, but. Yeah. So yeah, to go back real quick, feedthehungry.org or FHFH.org will get you to that website. You can get all the butchers, all the chapter coordinators in your area. You can get all that contact information and a nice, very easy to navigate interactive map. Um, if you want to get a hold of me, find me on Facebook under my name, or you can find find me at Archery Hike on Facebook or Archery Hike on Instagram. Awesome. Well, man, I appreciate you coming out tonight and, and- sitting down and talking with us or talking with me but the uh good luck with that buck good luck with everything else you got going on and we'll keep in, in touch with you as we as we move through the year sounds good thanks for having me take care man